Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process. I'm, of course, your host, Greg Wareham. We have a fantastic guest for you today, Mr. Patrick Lynham. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Now, Patrick, you work for Collier's Engineering or International? Uh, Collier's Engineering and Design. Okay. And you are an engineering firm. And it's a big company. I mean, I've heard of it. Uh, yes, sir. So, um, yeah, we're roughly about 2,500 people at this point. Okay. Um, and we're a very diversified uh, company. Uh, in d very uh, different um, engineering fields. Um, and uh, before coming to um, Collier's, we were Mazer Consulting, a local New Jersey firm. Sure, here. based in Red Bank. Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, acquired by Collier's International, who is the, the parent company. And they were looking for a uh, an engineering arm of, of their uh, portfolio of, of companies. And, um, you know, they came to us and we had the same culture. So uh, we thought it was a good fit, and, and yeah. now we're off to the races. Now, you are, so the people got to listen up to this show today, because we're going to kind of go deep on the civil engineering and uh, real estate developments, commercial, residential. And I think it's something that, you know, the, the common person, you know, even people in the industry, mortgage people, real estate agents, like you don't really think about the due diligence that goes on before a project even starts. Right, because we all see the end unit, and that's what we're marketing, and that's what we're selling to. Now, for you, you head up uh, the project for some of these bigger developers, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, so, um, I'm part of the uh, site civil department in in Collier's Engineering Design and um, department manager. We, want, we have about uh, thirty people uh, in our, our department uh, in New Jersey. Uh, we're part of a larger, about one hundred and ten uh, across uh, the whole company. Um, but um, the site civil po uh, portion of uh, engineering, um, we really start at the beginning with the, the with the property owners and uh, the brokers. And um, when they come in with a with a property, uh, they want some people don't know what they want to do. Some people, are, you know, already know what they want to do. Um, so um, when they come to us, we'll look at the the site um, and do a, like a high level due diligence on our end, sure. just to you know. Tell them what they can and can't do, especially in New Jersey. Right. Um, and so we'll take it from there. And, um, you know, uh, once we go through that, and once it passes the high dual di the due diligence portion, sure. um, then, you know, we go into the uh, the procurement or the, or the hard due diligence, I want to say. You know what? I want to go through an example because what you do is so technical and so critical to being able to put these projects together. So let's just say for a second, I'm a builder. And I've identified this piece of land and I look at it and say, hey, I want to put 10 units on that piece of land. My first step really needs to be to contact you and your company to figure out what I can and can't do, correct? Correct. And now that I, I've reached out to you, I found this great piece of land. What's the process from there? I've, I've turned it over to you, Patrick. What do we got to find out? Well, we'll uh, like I mentioned, uh, we'll go into, we'll look at the, the high level due diligence, which includes like the... Um, zoning of the property the we'll look at uh available mapping that we have uh on that property uh as far as um you know whether it's wetlands you have a stream going through which may have a floodplain associated with it um and the um also you know we look into what road it's on sometimes right. that has an effect on um the process and what you can and can't do whether it's dot road county road or municipal road and then um, also uh, we'll do a little uh, environmental due diligence uh, as far as, you know, seeing what the surrounding properties are, see if there's any potential or what's on a property itself. 
Uh, How do you even get this information? So I start, I just come in, I like the piece of land and I can picture 10 houses on it. Like, how do you, how do you even start that? Is it a survey that's done to the property first? You pull things from public record? Uh, yeah, actually, um, before we even get to the survey, this is like the high, high uh, level of due diligence. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll go, um, well, there's available mapping. You can do Oprah requests to the okay. municipalities. And get, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's, so that process is uh, pretty straightforward. Um, anybody can file an, an Oprah, it's Open Public Records Act okay. um, form, and submit it to municipality, and they'll go through their records on the property, see what they have, and uh, we'll obtain whatever mapping uh, they have. We'll review it uh, based on our experience with you know other properties and current regulations. We'll identify any potential constraints. Uh, they're on our property through there. We also have uh, a lot of online mapping okay. that are that are um, keeps um, growing. Uh, so you know, sometimes I'm exposed to to new avenues of getting information like every day. So you know, you just gotta yeah, know. You're what, like an what inside to... intel person, seriously, to get this information from the town level and everything like that. You really got to have the expertise to be able to identify what you need and how to move it in the right direction. Exactly. And, uh, and then once we have all that information, we can uh, review it against the current regulations and see what kind of challenges we might have with the property. Um, sometimes even a simple tax map, you obtain a tax map and uh, that will show up like encumbrances on a property like easements and sure. uh, and other conservation um, or floodplains even on, on, uh, on the tax map itself. So we try to you know, do a shotgun approach, grab everything we can. We don't have much time. Um, so I mean, what's the window on something like that to just get a, get a first level review of everything? Uh, well, we, you know, as soon as you get a property, you get an address and then I do all my due diligence in like a a couple of days just to get it out. But the Oprah process takes a while. Okay. So you want to get ahead of that. Um, we have access to other mapping immediately. So, uh, we'll, we'll go into and look and, you know, you know, search through, uh, the property mm-hmm. in, in that way um, and try to identify anything that may be a, a concern or a constraint on a property. So if I'm the person looking to acquire, if I'm the builder looking to acquire that property, I really need, I need to get to that, through that first level with tax mapping and environmental and all those things that you had mentioned. They also need to get that Oprah report back, correct? Correct. And when I get that information back, is that the time where I can say, okay, well, this project looks like something we may be able to move forward on. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Once you get past that part, then uh, we can take it to the next step, which is maybe uh, you know a PSA on a property. What's a PSA? A property uh, a purchase agreement. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, once we pass that high level, then they get a, a level of comfort um, on whether or not they want to actually put an LOI uh, together and letter of intent for everybody. Letter of intent. Yeah. Yep. And then um, and then start negotiating uh, a, a deal. You know what they. During this process, too, I can do like uh, really rough uh, concept sketches on okay. what's permitted on a property so I can get roughly square footages of, of building sizes so they can help uh, the developer or builder um, develop a performer uh, on a property so they can uh, negotiate um, you know, for, uh, the price of the, the property. Makes sense. So you're going to do all that diligence from the town standpoint to understand what the setbacks are, like what kind of structure can actually go their square footage wise and distance to the road and all that complicated stuff that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you can do that real quick up front. I mean, okay. uh, you do it two dimensionally, which means it's just, you know, uh, just looking at the, the high level. Sure. 
um, uh, try to look at uh, three-dimensionally as, as far as the topography, if there's a, um, a stream or nearby or wetlands, uh, you can just do that real quick through Google Earth and, and from the available FEMA mapping. Right. So you can do a lot uh, up front before you even get to the hard due diligence part. So then I now I've, I've went into a purchase and sale contract to purchase the property. Now, you had mentioned before about depending on what road it's on. I mean, you got to put in utilities, infrastructure. If it's a big project, there may be traffic concerns. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, when you go into the uh, the traffic part, um, yeah, the, the, definitely if you're on a DOT road, it's going to be – they have their own regulations that you have to follow. Uh, then, you know, depending on what the use is, you know, that, you know, you can get an idea which generates more traffic than uh, another uh, pro- type of project. Mm-hmm. So um, right off the bat, you know uh, whether or not you're going to be triggering um, uh, like a, a high level um, DOT review or county review or, or something that may even uh, trigger a new signal uh, mm-hmm. at, at your access point, depending on the size of the development. And who makes that decision? Is it between the town and the engineering firm to say, hey, we need a traffic light to accommodate what we're looking at from a traffic pattern? Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's warrant analysis. Okay. They call it warrant analysis. Um, so the traffic engineer involved with the project would go through this process of, of almost like a checklist of uh, whether or not you meet all the criteria that, that's required to have a signal. And it's largely had to do with uh, how many, uh, trips uh, the the project will uh, bring to the site. Hmm. You know, it's funny. I remember when they were rebuilding that we work in the same building. So Patrick yeah. and I work at uh, Bell Works building in Homedale, New Jersey. And I remember when they were bringing this building back from the dead, I live in the town and the town was, oh, the traffic, you know, and how are we going to accommodate the traffic pattern? So I would imagine massive studies went into that. And I mean, the end result is there's no more traffic <laughs> than <Yeah>. there ever <laughs> was. But, you know, you have to before you can get approval for anything, you have to make sure all that type of thing's done, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what, like, like you mentioned, uh, when we get past the uh, the LOI and, and the PSA, and when that's signed and ready to go, then you're into your hard due diligence yeah. uh, uh, phase of the contract. You know, uh, whether it's sixty or ninety days, and during that time, then you go uh, start doing uh, additional investigations. Uh, the minimum, I think, is a survey uh, of the property and um, environmental. Mm. Uh, phase one, uh, which is it, uh, but if you're doing a, uh, like a daycare, uh, you need a phase one preliminary assessment because there's separate rules, uh, that has to go into with regards to daycares. If you right. want to do a daycare on a property. So yeah, at a minimum survey environmental, um, if, if you really uh, want to get into, uh, additional, um, you maybe do geotech, mm. maybe hit a couple borings, but, um, uh, and then, you know, once you pass uh, those three, say you get uh, clean on those, then we go into the, the procurement uh, phase. Okay. But sometimes if you, if you do identify other things, you have, so, you have your contract that uh, if, you, if you find something during that due diligence, you get you extended. Get right. Say, um, like environmental, uh, say you, there's a, um, a dry cleaner on site. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a red flag. Gas stations are red flags. Um, so um, then you'll go through the phase one and it hasn't been cleaned up or if there's potential for environmental um, contamination, right. then you go into maybe a phase two, which is whatever you identified, they call them area concerns. 
in the phase one, then then you go and do a little more deeper dive into the property, uh, and and then investigate um, further. And if that turns out clean, then you know. There's so much to unpack in that, right? So you just just looking at the term environmental. To your point, if there's been a dry clean or a gas station on the property or any time in the past, you know, I would think that environmental is probably one of the more difficult hurdles to get over. Yeah, I mean, it's in every contract. So okay. yeah, everyone's you know very sensitive to <laughs> to the the whole environmental, especially in New Jersey because you know we have a history with environmental contaminated sites uh, throughout the years, but. Um, yeah, I mean, once that's done, um, I mean, like like you said, I'm trying to think of some other uses that might trigger even a, even a simple like an old house that may have an underground oil oil tank, yeah. right? I mean, that's common for for residential. Sure. Uh, so those are the things that you know, taking out the tank would be the phase two part. Okay. And then, so we have the environmental, and then we have the, you may do a geotech. Is that the term that you use? Yeah, yeah. Geotech is just you go out there and you drill uh, borings. And, and basically, you're looking underneath uh, the ground to see if the soil uh, is is okay to build on or what kind of challenges you may have, you know, building foundations, uh, you know, or high groundwater. Mm. Uh, How deep do you go on the borings? Uh, depends on what we're looking for. Okay. Uh, but it can be anywhere from, um, you know, 30 to 100 feet. Okay. Going wow. down below. So now you're digging to check out the soil, the foundation, so you can build foundations, everything like that. The first thing that popped into my mind with it, Patrick, is, is everything fixable, right? Or is it, yeah. do you ever look at it, man, you can't do anything about this. The groundwater is too high. Yeah, well, we, there's ways, you know, being an engineer, you find ways around uh, to accommodate uh, those challenges. Uh, but there's some reg regulatory challenges that you just can't overcome because it's just law. You can't do what, what, what you want to do. And they have they have a framework on what you can and can't do. But, uh, you know, um, you know, working on contaminated sites, you know, a long time. But, you know, so there's different um, measures that you put in to call it engineering controls. OK. And, uh, you know, sometimes depending on what the contamination is, sometimes you hit arts and say you're on a farm. Uh, and, and you're doing uh, what they, for fertilizer, mm -hmm. what they use in historical pesticides. Such a good point, yeah. So then you, you that's usually a high arsenic uh, right. content, but um, sometimes arsenic is naturally occurring. And uh, and since it's not soluble, then you could just cap it or you know, put it in a different part of the site where it's not going to, um, you know, mm. be uh, open to the public. So there's, there's engineering controls that can do with, uh, a lot of these, whatever you find during environmental, man, you're really smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, it's just a lot of experience. <laughs> yeah. It's really that so many different facets of it and what you can and can't do. And just things like you figure people have been living on this land for thousands of years, right. And yeah. who knows what has been done to the land prior to any record of it right like to your point about the farming i think it's a great point this used to all be farmland in new jersey mm -hmm. and they've only had control real controls on pesticides and fertilizers for a relatively short period of time a couple of decades a couple of few decades so you know understanding that and more importantly how to fix it i mean it's critical yeah yeah i mean that's yeah that's where we get into the we have the, the in new jersey we have a um licensed site remediation professional lsrp right and um the dp kind of uh registers um those those uh people okay um, and they'll go out and do all the investigations uh and they'll give advice 
to um, developer on on what they can and can't do, or you know what we got to do during construction. You know additional costs that may incur. Mm. You know there's still a solution, but still a cost to the project. That's a really great point. So a lot of the stuff, most of the stuff's going to be solutionable. It's at it's at what cost is it remediated? Exactly. You know I've noticed in parts of New Jersey as well. There's a lot of old landfill. Uh, I think we were chatting about this at a, you know, a month ago when we were talking on the phone. There's a development in our area that was built on a landfill. And they have vent pipes from the landfill. And, yeah. and some, sometimes it was difficult to lend on that for a period of time. Uh, right. So is that all, that's all public record and things that you have to find out before you're building? Yeah, yeah it's part of the investigation you do. Okay. Um, you know, that's, usually they're all registered by the DEP anyway. So you can, you can find those. Um, but sometimes there's, you, sometimes you can't find it. Sometimes you hit it when you're doing the geotech. That's why you do it out front because you're doing those borings and then you hit. It's like, uh, you know, you find old, um, like farm dumps, you yeah. know, people, that's what they used to do. Just dump their garbage and mm -hmm. bury it. And there's no record of it unless you're out there doing the borings and you hit it. Right. Um, but for the most part, the, the large landfills are registered and, and you can easily find out. Um, mm. you know, where, where those types are. Now, what do you see? Do you see any, a lot of issues with flood in New Jersey? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, especially, you know, I mean, we all experience it, you know, whether it's the storm surge or you get the, the high intensity storms, uh, coming through. So, you know, there's a lot of regulation, uh, actually coming up by the DEP in order to address, um, you know, flooding, uh, in New Jersey. And, um, and that's part of this, there's multiple acts um, through the DEP that address flooding. Okay. Um, and some new ones that are coming down the pike? Yeah, it's amendments to uh, old regulations. So uh, we got to stay on top of those. Uh, sure. Again, that, you know, uh, it's it's meant to protect residents, but also the balance between, you know, um, the, the costs associated with complying with those new regulations. Sure. So we've got to be on top of... Uh, not only how to comply with the regulations, but what kind of uh, economic impact they have mm -hmm. on a project as well. Sure. Now, when you look at things like flood, I know we have the oceans, we have the storm issues. Do you see a lot of flooding that can be triggered just from high water table? There's high water tables, yeah. Um, but the, the flooding itself, I mean, uh, it's just intuitive that if you have a high groundwater, you know, water's not going to go very far before it hits that groundwater, and then it's not going to go anywhere. So it's right. going to stay above. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, wetlands, if you're next to wetlands, that's a, that's a dead giveaway that, that you're near your high gra groundwater, right? Because right. there's wetlands wouldn't grow unless there's um, high groundwater there. So, um, so yeah, we do got to, we have to consider the, the, the groundwater as part of our uh, flood analysis and our stormwater management analysis uh, when we're designing uh, the project and going through the procurement process. Yeah, makes sense. Hey, have you ever ran into a situation where there's some sort of, ancient burial ground on a project yeah so the um when we find those uh is there's a process when anytime you need a, a wetlands permit or a dp permit you have to go through a cultural resources analysis where you know you got to look at the site and and see you know we get an archaeologist involved and historian they get together and you know do invest do a report on that particular project to determine whether or not there's a it's almost like a phase one for environmental you do a phase one archaeological uh -huh. uh, uh, report just to determine whether or not there is a, um, a, ch a chance that there'll be uh, burial ground uh, or or even um, 
a lot of times it happens next to rivers because naturally, you know, Native Makes Americans sense. will will camp near rivers because you got access to water, uh, and and you know a lot of animals, you know, for, for either foraging or for hunting, you know, they they would congregate around rivers. So anytime you go naturally, wetlands are next to rivers. Right. So anytime you need to go in for a wetlands permit or another DUP permit, you know, you have to do that process because they identified that. You know, anywhere near rivers is going to have a high chance of uh, huh. having um, possible, uh, you know, Indian he- uh, heads or yeah. you know, arrowheads and stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm so that that is part of the process. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And is there record of that generally, or is that just something that's figured out on site? Again, you go through to phase one, yeah. and anytime um, it's just part of the the permitting process. So. Uh, you know, you go through to phase one and uh, an archaeological investigation, and that's that's going to tell you whether or not you need to go to the next step and actually okay. go out and do digging uh, around. So, um, so th- th- I, don't, I mean, there are, uh, I mean, you have to register the sites. Sure. So as they pop up, they become registered. Right. But to say you're on a site that hasn't, you know, a vacant site that no one looked at. Right. Uh, you still got to go through this process. Huh. Something else. Hey, something just popped into my mind because I know uh, in Colts Neck, New Jersey, when I first moved down to this area from, I used to live in Sussex County, New Jersey. I was in Sparta, New Jersey. We moved down here and there's a, there's a little stream lake at a park around the corner where you can, you can literally filter in this river for old shark teeth from hundred million years ago. Wow. And it just what popped into my mind is this whole thing used to be underwater to begin with, yeah, right. And it's shifting and shifting climates and you know shifting topography over the course of time. Who knows what you're going to find yeah, when absolutely. you start digging? You know, I mean, you might find a dinosaur down there. Oh well, I, I think didn't I find the first dinosaur in New Jersey? I think, <laughs> I think they, they did <laughs> dinosaur bones. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. To your point, yeah, that this everything was underwater. You can um, you can tell that by this. Uh, geology of New Jersey. Geology of New Jersey is pretty unique where it has three different um, major uh, geological formations. You got the, the lowland sand areas down at the, you know, the south. Yeah. And then uh, at the north, you got the rock, the mountains. And in between, you got that transition, uh, you know, shale and, and clay and stuff. So uh, New Jersey is actually very unique geology uh, wise. And we have to use that as we're designing our stormwater management or, or building um, uh, when in that design, um, well, wasn't a portion in New Jersey at some time, didn't the glaciers end like right around New Jersey? I thought I read that somewhere <laughs> that the glaciers end ended like, uh, the Raritan bridge right in that area. Cause you know how the soil changes immediately after you go over the bridges coming down here. Yeah. My understanding was there were glaciers and then they, they ended and everything started uh, drying out once you got closer to the New Jersey shore. Well, I don't know that much about it, <laughs> but uh, I, I might not either. I might be making it up. <laughs> so when we look at bigger projects, because I know you work with a lot of these really big developers, I mean, how much due, due diligence wrong? I know we've been talking about that. How much time goes into the time that one of these big companies come in to identify a piece of land till they actually start building on it? Well, uh, it depends on what jurisdiction you're in and uh, what kind of permits you need. Uh, I mean, it's very subjective, um, but in New Jersey, because we have all, you know, very highly regulated in this state, that um, it could be, you know, our, our, it, what takes the longest is our outside agency approval. So okay. 
I mean, let me just start I start with the uh, the municipal level because that's, you know, pretty much every project uh, needs that right off the bat. In the municipal level, uh, you go in and what they call site plan approval. Uh, and whether or not you're doing a subdivision, maybe you need subdivision approval. Uh, but you go through the municipal planning uh, and zoning process. Uh, and just that alone, um, when when you put all your documents, they have a checklist, what you got to do. So mm-hmm. Every town's different. So you go through the checklist, determine what they need, and then you can make a judgment call uh, on what the project actually is, what the, how intense it is, and whether or not you want to ask for any submission waivers to that mm. checklist. Because everything in that checklist costs time, you know, right. and money for that matter. Uh, but so, but you can use a judgment call on whether or not you know what this this project that this does, this checklist item doesn't really apply to this. So that's why they have this submission waiver process through okay. um, through the uh, through the planning and zoning approval. Now, is it usually just a generic thing that they give you with the, the checklist is the same? I wish. Always? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, I, I mean, uh, you know, we're home rule here. So, yeah. uh, you know, every municipality uh, you is know, different. Is, is different. That makes so. it easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the state started with the municipal land use law. It started with that. That's the law that the state and then all the municipalities have to at least abide by that law, but they're open to create other uh, ordinances in their local municipalities, mm-hmm. depending on uh, you know what what the local constituents you know uh, mm. want to see out there, or what the residents are are want to want to see or protect in their towns. So yeah, so uh, there, every checklist is different. Sometimes we can get wait, uh, submission waivers depending on what how intense our project is, um, and then you identify any kind of. Um, uh, variances, you mm. know, from the zoning ordinance, which obviously you try to design a site, uh, you know, without any variances, you know, meet the setback, the the building uh, floor error ratio, um, you know, a stuff, you know, along those lines, sure. the zoning, how much parking you have, um, but you know, ordinances are, are, you know, they're they're pretty general. Okay. So you could came up with a use that says, you know what. Uh, this, this, your ordinance says I need this much parking for this building, but you know, I got, I got my, my tenant is not going to need that much parking. So, right. uh, so you make a case in front of the, you ask for a variance, you go in front of the board and you present your case saying, uh, this happens a lot with self-storage, you know, self-storage, you know, some ordinances don't even That's recognize self-storage. Yeah. In, okay. And uh, you, you go in and, uh, and sometimes they categorize as a warehouse. So they require whatever. 50 parking stalls, but you know, self-storage only needs like five. Right. So, so you, you, <laughs> to you one person so, that works there exactly. and, and everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we go in and, and that's pretty common, uh, a variance that we ask for. Okay. Um, so you get the, the, you get the submission waivers up front, um, and then the variances, and then they have these design waivers. Mm-hmm. These are like, oh, we want to build it this way. But if, if you know a better way, uh, then, you know, uh, you ask for the waiver and we're, and we're grant via the waiver. So there's different, um, those are the three submission waivers, variances, and design waivers. Okay. You got to identify, uh, then you make an application to the planning board. Um, and um, I got to take a step back. If you're not a permitted use, there's a whole separate zoning board you have to go in front of. Okay. So if you're not a permitted use or you exceed the floor ratio or the building height by 10%, um, that kicks you into a, a, a use variance. So that's a totally different board. So I'm just talking about the planning board process. Sure, It's similar with the zoning board, uh, except the only difference is, is um, the, the zoning board is the only authority that can grant use variances. Okay. Um, 
So sometimes you got to, that's one part of due diligence. Are you paying ready to use or not? Or right. do you exceed the these other thresholds? Uh, so you identified up uh, front, you know, which board you're going through, whether, whether in front of the zoning board or, or planning board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you make the application. Uh, and that process, um, you have, they have, uh, the municipality has 45 days to deem you complete, which means they'll go through the checklist. Okay. And uh, determine whether or not you comply with all the checklists. That's not bad then. So 45 day time frame uh, on average to do it. Now, now, let me take a step back. Okay. That's just completeness. Ah. So you get, so they have uh, 45 days to deem it complete. Mm-hmm. And then you got to get scheduled for uh, an actual hearing, whether it's a zoning board or planning board. So it's, <laughs> it, so the 45 days is just the beginning. Okay. Then you, that takes another maybe, I don't know, two weeks to 30 days to get scheduled for a hearing, depending on the, the board's agenda at that time. Mm. Uh, then you go, and you go to your hearing. Hopefully it's a one-night hearing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, uh, and then after that, then they, uh, the next meeting, which is in two weeks or it could be a whole, whole 30 days, they, they um, in- introduce and adopt a resolution of the approval. Mm. And then once they adopt the, uh, the resolution of approval, now there's a 45 day appeal period. Got it. So now anybody can appeal that, um, that decision by the board. So I can show up and be like, yeah, I don't like it. I live here and I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, okay. that, that can happen. Okay. Uh, and you know, sometimes, you know, the board will look at it and, and determine whether or not the validity of it. But, uh, right. yeah, that, but huh. so there is another, um, risk, 45 day risk after you get your, your memorialized resolution, but we can do, we can be doing things, um, outside agency approvals, addressing whatever conditions of the resolution that we had agreed to during, uh, the, the board process. So all that, uh, process, um, and then we got to comply and get the, uh, sign off from the planning board's consultants. You sure. Know, they have, they have their own engineers, they have their own planners, landscape architects, traffic engineers. Sure. And so, um, you know, we'll address everything, all the comments or the uh, conditions that the board and their professionals have and what we call uh, resolution compliance. Okay. So it's a term probably in New Jersey only, but uh, you get the resolution and they have all these conditions and, you know, usually we can address those within the 45 day appeal period. Mm -hmm. So that's what we target. Um, It's really political. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into that. Yeah, time I mean, and presentation, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it it can be depending on the project and depending on you know the agendas and the timing and all that. Uh, it could be anywhere anywhere between uh, like uh, I'll say roughly around seven to nine months. Okay, just to get to the municipal process. Got it. Now, are there sometimes where you look at a town on a new uh, request, someone you're working with, you're like. Oh. <laughs> and other ones, you're like, ah, oh, they're easy to work with. Oh yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I mean, you, uh, like you said, it's political. Some towns yeah. don't want these uses. Some towns want these uses, and uh, it's you know just based on our experience and uh, you know and our uh, uh, you know what were projects that we have ongoing in the office. Sure. We can determine you know where those towns are and advise. Uh, the developer on, you know, that's another level of challenge that will offer. It's another you know? level of experience of value for yeah, what you bring exactly. to the table too. Right out of the gate, you'd be like, well, this town, you're, these are the problems you're going to run into right out of the gate. Yeah, exactly. So that comes from experience. And on, now on every project. project that you do is unique, right? So if you go in with one big project 
and you get it approved. You get everything approved. And then you came in with an identical project in the same town. It's not like you set precedent with the first case. Everything's got to go through that exact same process again. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you, it's interesting that you said precedent because uh, we are all in, in a, like a, it's a, it's a legal proceeding. Sure. Uh, and uh, in a town, if there's an interpretation of a certain ordinance, and and the board acts on it. Now that sets precedent. So now so it can make it easier. Yeah, future. yeah, it could be okay. predictable. It makes it not, no, no. not necessarily easier, but predictable <laughs> but at least. Works. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Now, question for you in today's real estate market. So we know that in our country, you know, we have like a four or five million unit housing shortage. In New Jersey, there's obviously a huge housing shortage, probably bigger than other parts of the country based on limited land and high population, high demand. Do you, are you finding the towns easier to work with on construction projects because we have such a lack of inventory? Hmm. Uh, well, let me take a step back because mm-hmm. uh, there's a whole other um, aspect of, of housing in New Jersey, and it's it's the affordable housing yeah. portion. So... Um, I think uh, it was the Mount Laurel decision uh, yep. from that. That would, you know, a judge said, "Listen, we, we need to create affordable housing in New Jersey." So they they created these obligations of each each municipality to have affordable housing. Is it ten percent, or is it? Is I it think the it same depends problem? on the okay. the um, the type of use. Um, okay. Yeah, but it could be any 15 percent of, mm-hmm. of the the units that you put in have to be affordable. Mm-hmm. So um, so in that respect. Uh, the, it's been kicking around in in the courts, uh, this Mount Laurel decision, and sure. I think the latest is that now uh, municipalities have to uh, have affordable housing in their own town. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of putting pressure on a municipality. They have an obligation to provide this affordable housing in their municipality. So the, the easiest way to do that is to through the developers and and you know building uh, more housing for the mm. town and getting a percentage of that as, as affordable housing. Mm. So in that regards, there is a kind of an incentive uh, for towns to uh, to uh, approve the, the the residential. It never used to be easy because, uh, you know, it adds it, it's a stigma to residential because it brings in um, uh, school children, sure. which has a direct impact to, you know, school taxes and, and higher taxes. So mm. uh, there's always a sensitivity to residential, but... Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, with all the, 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 the incentives, uh, or the, for, by the, the state or the court mm. system to get affordable housing, I think it's becoming easier, especially now overshadowed by now we have a lot of pushback on warehousing now. Okay. So that's, so the, so the school children took taking a step back. Now people, not many people are having children anyway. Right. So, um, you know, that's not really a, a concern. Well, it's still a concern in some towns, but. It's not a high concerns now with all the warehousing coming out. Uh, you know, that's a great point with affordable housing because before the Mount Laurel decision, if you were putting in housing in a particular area and just say 10%, you had to, like 10% had to be invested in affordable housing, you didn't even have to necessarily put it in your town, right? You put it, just build it somewhere else. Oh, uh, yeah. Some towns, that's why some towns, um, you know, uh, don't have an obligation at all. They have a surplus. Okay. Uh, because they were, um, other towns were we're, you know, paying the other town to take their obligation affordable housing. Right. Uh, that's a, that's a great point. So we're going to take a quick break, Patrick. So Greg Wareham, Patrick, we're going to be back in two minutes.
Welcome back, everybody. Greg Wareham with Your Mortgage Process. We, of course, have Patrick Lynham from Collier's Engineering today. So, Patrick, I just wanted to talk about housing for one second and then go back to some of the things we were talking about. So I think it's really critical for people listening that when you have a developer in looking to build units in today's environment with such a housing shortage, these projects are a good thing for the community, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah. But anytime you bring housing to people, I mean, you bring, you're helping at the core shelter. I mean, you're, you're giving shelter to people. I mean, that's the core of it. Of everything, right? You got to have a place to live. You got a place to live, place to eat, yep. you know, place to play. Right. I recreate, you know? Yeah. So I think it's really critical that, that a lot of these projects are kind of moving in the right direction, not to mention the fact there's an affordable housing component with it. So you're supplying housing to a diverse group of people. And that's really, it's a fundamental part of our society. So build these units, right? Let's give people a place to live. No, absolutely. I mean, if this is zoned for it and, you know, there's yeah. demand for it, um, then, you know, you're you're filling that demand. You're, you're accommodating right. the people. Plus, it stabilizes pricing. You know, you look at our area of supply and demand, and the demand's high and there's no supply. It just forces prices up. If, if you stabilize the supply and demand, you stabilize the price of everything. So anyway, I digress. I apologize. <laughs> so I know that you also represent towns as well. You're not just de developers. Talk yes. a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, we have a whole municipal department and um, uh, they they actually are um, hired by the municipalities and uh, there's a variety of different uh, services they provide to the municipalities. Um, a couple of them are, are what they represent. They're the board engineers, whether zoning board or planning board or just the town engineer. So um, there's some municipalities uh, that, that retain us to review other engineering plans. And then uh, if you're uh, like a special projects engineer in the town, then you're, you're doing what the council wants. You know, if the council wants to add a park here uh, or, or they want to add a parking lot somewhere else or redevelop, um, you know, uh, for maybe a, a, a pool or, or spray park, you right. know, a water park, uh, then we'll design that uh, as through our municipal department for the town and put it out the bid and construct it for the residents. Right. Oh, that's great. You know, I want to come back a little bit to the overall process because I interrupted where you, where you were going before. So now we have approval from the town, kind of that seven to nine month process, let's mm -hmm. call it. What other, what other approvals or due diligence also happens? Uh, well, uh, depending on where you study, like you said, you identify all these uh, different uh, reviewing agencies that you have involved in your project up front. You know, you're, uh, you go through the, that, that's vetted out through the due diligence process. But once you get into the procurement phase, uh, like I mentioned, I, I described the, the municipal zoning mm -hmm. process. Um, then there's other, depending on, uh, like if you're on a DOT road or county road, uh, then you'll need to get uh, their approval as well. Um, so there's, uh, there's, I can, you know, DOT is right off the bat a big one. If you're on a DOT road, you have to go through, uh, there's different, levels of permits and processes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's got a minor access permit, a major access permit, and a major with planning. Obviously, major planning is more intense mm -hmm. because that it's going to trigger like improving uh, off-site maybe signals um, or, or widening lanes and so forth to accommodate development. Um, county, county level is uh, uh, just the county planning board you go through, and uh, they'll review um, against the, the County Planning Act uh, in an uh, they'll look at the drainage, uh, whether or not you're affecting any of their culverts downstream, 
or, or whether or not their road uh, can handle your traffic, mm. similar to the DOT in that respect. But uh, they'll review that process. As so well. when certain changes meet, need made for lights or road enhancement, is that picked up by the developer or the town, or could it be a combination of both? Uh, it could be a combination of both, but primarily it's the developer. Okay. Because their development is triggering the the need for, for this offsite um, mm-hmm. improvements to happen. So, um, yeah, yeah, most of the part, uh, time it's the developer that, that fits the bill for the public improvements. And there could be a lot that goes into that. I mean, you have uh, in our area... There's a uh, a Bass Pro Shop they've been putting in for forever, and they like literally built an off ramp off the highway for this place. Yeah, yeah, that's actually we're working on that project. And wow, it's a big project. It's is a very large project, and uh, anybody from New Jersey coming over that bridge can see it right off the bat. And and they've been moving this mound of dirt around the site uh, on purpose, mm-hmm. uh, and it's because they're they're um, the soil over there is not very good. So they're they're using these this large weight of this dirt to compress the soil, and and compact the soil so it's able to be built onward. So mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a it's a huge geotechnical project, environmental as well. Wow. So I I was thinking also before we were talking earlier about wildlife, because that's a concern. Yeah. So you just can't come in and or trees you can't come in and cut down all the trees and kill all the wildlife (laughs) there's plants and there's could you speak a little bit about that yeah so uh yeah part of uh, the due diligence process you'll do a quick search on threatened endangered species and then that's an interesting subject by itself um there's some uh threatened uh, endangered species in new jersey that are not really threatened and endangered elsewhere in the united states Mm -hmm. so it's only particular to the state so um, there's some federally um, protected species, and then there's state protected species that you got to look into, and you got to. Um, they have a lot of good um, uh, resources uh, on on the internet through the DEP website that can uh, maybe give you some guidance on what potential uh, habitats mm-hmm. for these th- uh, different species are. Uh, largely, uh, like I mentioned before, they're they're near wetland areas. Because naturally, like, people would congregate around rivers. Sure. So does the animals, and they forage there as well. So um, those are a lot of areas that we focus on with regards to the, the threatened endangered species. So that, um, and then you mentioned the trees. Um, yeah, there's a, the trees are, are, are governed locally most of the time by local ordinances. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you can you can take down the trees, but if you can't... Um, replace you know the quantity uh, on your site uh, sometimes uh, the municipal ordinance require a uh, a, a contribution to the a, a tree fund or something right. that the town has where mm-hmm. they'll use that to to put trees elsewhere in the town see I think that's a great part of the process that because I'm one of those people that hate seeing trees get cut down because they're natural air filters like oh, I don't cut down the trees like when I got neighbors that start cutting down the trees, like, what are you cutting down the trees for? Because, you know, I mean, it's to me, it's a, they're aesthetically pleasing. They're natural air filters. So I think it's a good process. You can cut down trees. At least there's checks and balances in place to make sure that we're trying to put them back into circulation, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, and part of the, the site plan approval process includes a landscape plan. So right. uh, you, you are planting as much as you can back uh, on, on when, when a project is complete. Right. Makes sense. So what else, what other phases of the project are, are we missing? 
What are so, some of the other due diligence that gets done before they start actually putting a shovel in the ground? Uh, well, once you get uh, all these outside agency approvals and you get the, you know, your planning board approval um, and you satisfied the resolution, I call it the one resolution compliance. It's a couple, you know, you got to you know, post your performance guarantees uh, and pay any inspection fees. Well, once you get all that done, the site plans actually get signed off by the town, mm -hmm. uh, the, whether it's the secretary, the chairman, and the engineer, they sign off on the plans. Once the plans are, that's that means everything is done through planning and zoning. And now you can actually get into building. <laughs> <laughs> so now, you know, you take those plans and you submit to the building department along with, uh, you know, uh, architectural construction documents, which mm -hmm. uh, during the approval process, you only need floor plan, like preliminary floor plans and elevations just to give the board what the building's going to look like. But the real heavy lifting of the approval of the building plans come through the building department. Okay. And now once construction starts, are you out of the project or is it, are you in it until the last building's yeah, done? Yeah, I mean, it's still, you know, as much planning as we do up front, there's things that come up uh, right. when, during construction. Um, and there's just a natural process that we stay involved with. Uh, you know, the general contractor would submit, a, a submit us like specs. Uh, that they want us to review. Maybe they want to substitute something for something else, and we'll review it, make sure uh, you know it's okay to re to have that replacement. Um, and then construction meetings. You know, there's 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 during construction, there's a lot going on. I mean, you have traffic control sometimes, so you got mm -hmm. the police involved. So they're there. You know, you got you know fire safety, life safety uh, going on. You you know, it, it's very construction is a very intense um, uh, process. Right. So. Uh, and so you got to you got to be there primarily for uh, safety. Uh, we go out and inspect as they're they're building, um, you know, the underground utilities. Make sure they're compacted correctly. Make sure that the the um, you know the pad for the building right. is is compacted to the right percentage, so there's no settlement. So we're still involved during the, the construction process. Yeah, wow. There's a there's a lot, and this is kind of you're talking about. I'm thinking to myself, this is one of the great things about America is the checks and balances associated with getting a project like this done. You know, you're going out, you're reinspecting the work, you're making sure that everything's compliant and stable, but we have so much due diligence goes in from what you're doing in the, the checks and balances until the property go, comes to fruition at the end. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it seems like it's a lot, but yeah, it is. It's start to finish to, to get it in there. Is there anything we're missing about the process at all? Uh, well, once construction is complete, then uh, you know you you um, you file to release your performance guarantees, your bonds, okay, uh, and that gets satisfied, and then you file for your CFO, and you know you, you have your grand opening, and and now and we're ready to roll, yeah, and you call the mortgage person, yeah, <laughs> and you finance it on the property, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put a shameless plug out there really quickly because a lot of people don't know. Uh, what my company does, but we do provide financing in some situations up to $50 million for people looking to build and develop projects. So if you have any questions about that, you can reach out to me directly at greg at yourmortgageprocess.com. Uh, can we do a quick recap of the process? Sure. Then I'm going to plug your company. All right. So uh, yeah, initially uh, we'll find, you know, we'll, sometimes we'll help find a site, go through the high level due diligence, uh, do some um, deeper dive and the hard due diligence. Then we get into the procurement phase, get all your approvals, uh, and then you're uh, into construction. You see you through construction, uh, and then you go for CFO. I mean, sometimes we stay on for operations after the yeah, fact. Makes sense. 
That's awesome, Patrick. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And if some, someone, in everything that you're saying, you're obviously you're so well-versed in your area. And I'm thinking working for a big company when it comes to something as important as construction is probably important based on the resources they have in your fingertips as the consumer or the builder. No, absolutely. I mean, it's just... Uh, you know, with our company, we're very diversified, so we can offer, multi depending on what the project needs, we can offer uh, different um, uh, service lines out of our, just out of our engineering, um, you know, whether sometimes projects don't need all the full line of, of services right. we provide, but we have them at our disposal if, if the project needs it. And because projects are so fickle and unique onto themselves, if you do run into a situation, you have to have a company that, man, we're going to be able to point it in this direction for you, that direction, you're going to work with this department and so on, or you're going to get stuck in the minutia of a project taking a very long time to get done. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. What's the best way for someone that's interested in putting together some a development to reach out to your company? Uh, well, we're at Bell Works, so you can just uh, just come to Bell Works. We're on the fourth floor uh, in we're Collier's Engineering Design. Uh, you can uh, reach me via email or the website itself, collierseng.com, uh, or uh, via email. Uh, it's Patrick, P-A-T-R-C-K, dot Lynam, L-Y-N-A-M, and that's at Collier's eng.com all one word uh or you can uh, reach us uh in phone number 732-383-1950 uh and i'll throw out my cell phone this is 908-489-0780 all right guys you just got the cell phone number of a guy that knows everything about building new construction this you can really help people thank you so much patrick and thank you for all your time today. thanks Rick. i appreciate it hey thanks for being on the show and thank you everyone for listening out there today we appreciate you this is greg wareham with your mortgage process we had patrick lineham from collier's engineering today thanks everybody catch up with you next week thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of your mortgage process hosted by greg wareham Produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in and we look forward to catching up with you next week.